Welcome to Black History 365 Throwdown, a series where I explain, educate, and explore historical events, unsung black figures in world history, and recount the struggles and triumphs of black people worldwide. I'm your host, Yusuf Fursi. And last spring and summer, we've seen black lives being lost at the hands of the police, and it's been happening for decades, may I say centuries. And this past summer, I became aware of the Not Fucking Around Coalition, a black nationalist uh, paramilitary militia movement that arms itself against attacks from white supremacists and any other opposition. They once took uh, to the streets last summer, and they were armed with heavy artillery against uh, white supremacists. And, uh, and the reason I'm bringing them up to start this post is that in this episode of Black History 365 at Throwdown, I'll be presenting... The story behind Rob Williams and his version of black power, which meant advocating for the arming of black people with guns to defend against the violence that came their way. Robert Franklin Williams was the first African-American civil rights leader to advocate armed resistance to racial oppression and violence. Robert F. Williams was born on February 26, 1925 in Monroe, North Carolina, the fourth of five children born to Emma Carter Williams and John Williams. Williams quickly learned to navigate the dangers of being black in the Deep South. The Ku Klux Klan was rampant in the Deep South, and in this case, Monroe, and their feared force and power where Williams lived in had the community regularly brutalized at the hands of these white supremacists. Williams' grandmother, a well-read and proud woman, was born a slave in Union County in 1858. She taught Williams to cherish his heritage and to not back down from adversity. Before she died, she presented her young grandson with his first gun, a rifle that had belonged to his grandfather as a symbol of their family's resistance against racial oppression. After high school, Williams joined the Marines with the hopes of being assigned to information services where he could pursue journalism. He would instead receive a typical assignment given to African-American Marines at that time, being a supply sergeant. Williams' resistance to the Marine Corps' racial discrimination earned him a quote-unquote undesirable discharge and this caused him to return back to Monroe. In 1956, Williams took over leadership of the local chapter of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, which was close to disbanding due to the relentless backlash by the Ku Klux Klan. Williams canvassed for new members and eventually expanded the branch from only six to more than 200 members. Williams was subsequently filed for a charter and the National Rifle Association and formed the Black Guard, an armed group committed to the protection of Monroe's black population. Members received weapons and physical training from Williams to be prepared to keep the peace and come to the aid of black citizens whose reports for help from law enforcement often went ignored. With his fellow NAACP members, Williams went on to start local civil rights campaigns and brought conditions of the Jim Crow South to the attention of the national and international media. Furthermore, Williams led on an ongoing fight to integrate the local public swimming pool and opposed the condemnation of two young African-American boys for the quote-unquote crime of kissing a white girl during a harmless child's game, a cause that was deemed too controversial for the national NAACP. In 1959, after a jury in Monroe acquitted a white man for the attempted rape of a black woman, Williams took matters into his own hands by making a historic statement on the courthouse steps. He said of his courthouse proclamation at a press conference, he went on to say, quote, I made a statement that if the law of the United States Constitution cannot be enforced in this social jungle called Dixie, 
it is time that Negroes must defend themselves, even if it's necessary to resort to violence. That there is no law here, there is no need to take the white attackers to court because they will go free and that the federal government is not coming to the aid of people who are oppressed and it is time for Negro men to stand up and be men. And if it is necessary for us to die, we must be willing to die. If it is necessary for us to kill, we must be willing to kill. And after he said that, the NAACP suspended Williams for advocating violence. In 1961, the Freedom Riders came to Monroe to demonstrate the efficiency of passive resistance, the hallmark of the mainstream civil rights movement led by Martin Luther King Jr. This type of action was non-retaliatory and didn't take on the racism they were beaten down with by any means necessary. Moreover, an angry mob of Klansmen and Klan supporters overwhelmed the writers who called upon Williams and his black card for help. Amid the chaos, Williams sheltered a white couple from an African-American mob, only to be accused later of kidnapping them. With state and local authorities pursuing Williams for quote-unquote kidnapping and frenzied Klansmen calling for his death, Robert and Mabel Williams and their two small children fled Monroe. As a result, Fidel Castro granted Williams political asylum in Cuba, and the family spent the next five years in Havana. Robert and Mabel Williams continued to fight for human rights from Havana through their news and music radio program called Radio Free Dixie and the publication of Williams' pamphlet, The Crusader, which reached an influential underground audience. In 1962, he wrote the book Negroes with Guns, and in 1966, Williams moved his family to China during the height of the Cultural Revolution. In China, he enjoyed celebrity status and fraternized with Mayo Zindong and Chao Enlai. In 1969, Williams returned to the U.S. aboard a TWA flight chartered by the federal government. All the charges against Williams were dropped, and he went on to advise the State Department on normalizing relations with China. In regards to that, Williams did not, however, assume leadership of what had become a divided and beleaguered black power movement. Instead, Williams accepted a position as a research associate at the Institute for Chinese Studies at the University of Michigan, and he and Mabel moved to Baldwin near the university. In 1996, Williams died of cancer and he was buried in his hometown of Monroe, North Carolina. This concludes this episode. For more information on this podcast, you can check out my blog set at rowfreeflowingwords.blog and click on the tab Black History 365 for my written blog posts on previous episodes. The show is made possible by Anchor, which is providing a great and easy-to-use service for new and seasoned podcasters. If you enjoyed learning something new from the show, and make sure to subscribe on Spotify or whichever platforms you listen to your podcast on. By doing this, you'll stay up to date with my future episodes. And be sure to tune in every Tuesday and Friday for new episodes. Remember that black history should be learned about and celebrated every day and not just in 28 days. So stay educated and thank you for listening. I'm your host Yusuf Fursi and until the next episode, peace.